Welcome to the Real Estate Woman's Podcast. Thanks for pulling up a chair to our roundtable discussion. Here, we'll teach you how you can create a stream of passive income through multifamily investing, and we'll help you to shift your mindset so you can start living the life you really want to be living by design today. Hello, everyone. We're the Real Estate Women, and I'm Tamara. I'm Crystal. I'm Candy. And I'm Colleen. Welcome to the Passive Investing Podcast. In today's episode, we are going to discuss how to fund large purchases of multifamily properties, the different types of loans and debts used, and how the GP team qualifies for such loans. That's why we brought Julie Ann Peterson on for this episode today. Hello, Julie. Good day, everybody. How are you? Hi, Julie. Great. Great. Good to have you on. Thank yes. you. Um, we're so happy to have you. You're just every all of your info and background is just perfect for this. Um, Julie here, she has 30 years of real estate transaction experience, um, and she does not just source funds. She actually consults with her clients to solve you know their immediate needs. She works with all type of income producing real estate at all levels of the capital stack. Um, Julie's clients are typically real estate entrepreneurs who depend upon. Um, many different relationships they establish, as well as the relationship with the capital provider, and that is no different for her. So that's super important. Um, so welcome, Julie. It is so great to have you here today. Um, you know, to get right into things. Um, a question that is, you know, typically on all passive investors' minds is, where exactly are all of the funds coming from to purchase these like large multifamily properties? You know, in this industry, uh, we call it the capital stack. But um, could you kind of just shed some light on what the capital stack kind of is for our uh, passive invested listeners? Absolutely. Well, first of all, thank you so much for inviting me to to mm -hmm. chat and visit with you and your your passive investors here. Um, listen, the capital stack is going to have. A, level, a bunch of levels of different investors, whether it's the capital markets, whether it's retail, whether it's your, your pref equity uh, partners. So when we talk about going to a lender, that's going to be your biggest partner, okay? Those are, that's gonna be your capital markets. That's going to bring maybe an agency loan, whether it's a bank loan or a debt funds loan. Okay, so that's your biggest partner. Those are the guys that are bringing the most amount of money. The second could be a preferred, a pref equity partner. They're going to bring maybe the gap funding, right? Maybe they're going to give you all of your capital in, in the stack after the, the lender. Or then there's retail. And that's where passive investors bring in their money. That That's the stack that many of the passive investors maybe who are listening, that's where their money is in the stack. So from what where I stand, uh, we're, we are a mortgage banker, mortgage broker, and we provide the lending on it, which would your, be your biggest provider of the debt, of, of the capital stack. That's the first time I've ever heard um, the, uh, the investor pool being referred to as retail. Same. Yeah. Right. So yeah, because I'm kind of like thinking about that, I never, I never thought about it that way. But when you, when you think about it, it, it makes sense for that label to be like the retail aspect of it. <laughs> because they're going to be paying, you're going to be paying. Well, they come last. Unfortunately, they come last. Um, 
you have to pay me first to pay back my mortgage, right? <laughs> then you have to pay your pref equity, right? They're going to want their monthly. And then they get maybe paid 8% in, in uh, every month. And then there's an accrual. So they're also going to get paid when your investors get paid, which is, a, you know, it gets them whole. Um, and then the retail investors, they usually get, you know, in this market, it's a little bit different, but it could be that they've got a preferred equity or sorry, a preferred return. And that re preferred return is anywhere from six to 10%. Some cases it's 12, but that does not get paid until obviously you get some cash flow. And not sense. all the properties have a pref equity partner. You could just have a lender. Not, yeah, they could have and, just a pref and, equity. Yeah, that would be a big investor, right? Yeah. And, and in that case, you could say, I'm going to pay you every month, let's say 12%. Okay. They may not have any upside to the deal as well. You know, just a big investor could come in as that. Okay. Yeah. Oh, gotcha. Okay. So that's one of the different ways. So if... And let's say a GP or some, a team sponsoring a deal decided to have that pref equity partner, that large partner, they would go above essentially the typical investors. Okay. I know that's personally right. I haven't seen deals like that, but th that's a good way. That's It's good to know that some um, people do operate that way. I know. I, I think for most of us here, we're usually typically the um, deals that we deal with, I think typically go, you have your bank and then you have, we typically call it private equity. I think maybe you ladies... Um, I'm not exactly sure, but that private equity would be those that come in the passive investors who receive that preferred return. So that is the first time I've ever kind of re heard that being referred a preferred return being that additional um, large lender. So that's 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 good to know. It's an option. So they can be considered a lender or they can be considered a an investor. It just depends on how they're written into the contract. So let's talk about when you're looking at uh, private equity, like you're talking pro about private in investors, um, they're going to be paid maybe quarterly, maybe monthly, right? As mm -hmm. well as a preferred equity partner. But let's say in this market, especially, it's you can't capital raise all of it. And so you call up your buddy and you say, hey, I need $2 million. And that guy says, I can help you, but it's going to cost a little bit more money, right? So the, the the concern is that your investors, you've told them, we're gonna bring in all of these investors and we're all gonna get paid a certain amount. And you bring that other, that other equity partner, their shares will be diluted or they uh, could be diluted. So you gotta be really careful. You wanna know who and how much you're capital raising upfront. Because when it gets diluted, your investors um, just don't like that. Yeah, that's that's definitely a really good nugget for anyone out there looking to be a passive investor. That's an important question to ask. Make sure you're asking that GP yeah. team, where are the funds coming from? And that's it's little nuances like this that is really the reason we wanted to have you on here. Because there's so much for even for us to learn that different people operate in different ways. So there's a, definitely a lot to learn. And um, I guess one of the kind of questions that we have for you as like the lender, I know there's a lot of different types of debts and loans that can be put on it. When this in this industry, this world we're living in right now, we're seeing a lot of things kind of go wrong, and you, 
there's a lot of things like bridge debts and all that different types of debts that can be going wrong or when anyone had their interest rate not locked. So can you tell us a little bit about the different types of debts and loans that can be placed on commercial property? Sure. And if we talk about commercial, there's all different uh, asset classes within the commercial. So I'm going to really talk about multifamily. Yes. Um, I, I'm a loan officer with uh, Old Capital. We're a mortgage broker. We will do all their asset classes, but we really are premier providers in the multifamily. So if you talk about the best type of loan options is going to be your agency debt. This is a product that came out about 10 years ago. It's mm-hmm. a government agency loan. So it's Fannie and Freddie. Now they mm-hmm. also play in the residential But for our conversation today, we're talking about 30-year amortized loans. So you get a little bit less of a payment based, you know, in in comparison to, let's say, going with a bank loan. But you're looking at 5, 7, 10, 12, 15, uh, 20, and 30-year loans, okay? So you've got a lot of options with agency. Mm -hmm. This is a non-recourse loan. That means you're kind of are the babysitter, okay? As an investor, as a general partner, let's call it that, the people that are signing on the loans, they're signing with the idea that they're going to manage as a babysitter. But if they fail or default, it's going back to the bank. It's going back to agency. It's going back to Fannie and Freddie, okay? Which is different than what happens on a bank. That's recourse lending, okay? Mm -hmm. So agency, everybody wants agency because of the longer term, 30-year AM, all the options when it comes to the, the term of the loan. We also do interest only. They are There's the possibility of getting one year or up to a full term IO, interest only. So you think about this. You've got all of these rents coming in and you're only putting out the interest payment which is amazing. And that allows you to use that capital to do distributions, but also it allows you to use that capital to do renovations. Now Mm -hmm. you can capital raise the renovations or you can use it organically from those cash flows. Okay. So that's agency. There's different prepayment penalties. Um, It's based on the 10 year treasury. So today the 10 year treasury is around 3.8 it's been fluctuating a lot lately just because of the environment that we're in. When we look at how we put these loans together, there's the index, which is your 10-year treasury plus a spread. And the spread over the last five years has been pretty steady, but over the last year, it has been fluctuating, okay? So if I take the 10-year treasury, as I mentioned, it's around 380 today, add a spread, which is about 225, that's gonna be your rate, okay? And when we work with agencies, these on the Fannie side, they will fluctuate until you get the commitment from the, the lender. That's about five days before you close. On the Freddie side, when you sign on the loan, it is locked. So things to be thinking about when you're looking at deals as a passive investor, how, what kind of lending are we mm-hmm. going to be putting on this? Mm-hmm. And 
if you're using agency, are we locking the loan day one and we know exactly what it's going to look like or are we riding the wave? And if we're riding the wave, then are we going to need to bring in extra capital? Okay. If that seller, because it's all based on agency loans are all based on cash flow. He's got to be cash flowing mm -hmm. assets. So if the seller takes their foot off the gas, then I can't give you as many proceeds. So again, as a passive investor, you're going to want to say, is there the possibility that I need to bring in more cash, which could potentially um, lessen my shares? Oh. It would dilute your shares a little bit before we close. So that's always some really good information to kind of be thinking about, okay, the very best we're going for, why you're going for it. It is really a protection for the general partner because you don't want an asset, if it de defaults, that the general partner is personally liable. Now, we, we certainly do uh, uh, syndications where you would use a bank and the bank would be this this recourse lending, but some investors say I don't want to I don't want to put our general partners at risk, and I understand that. But if you if there's new investors that are taking as a uh, are becoming a syndicator, that may be their only option. Why? Mm -hmm. Because the agency needs an asset that needs ninety percent occupied. Okay. If, it, if an asset is not 90% occupied, then they have to look at other options. And the bank is an option or a bridge loan. And we saw a bunch of bridge loans <laughs> happening over the last couple of years. And I'm sure you've heard of it. It's, it's out in the news um, from, from a syndication perspective. If you're looking at um, trying to do some renovations and you don't have 90% occupied, Maybe you're doing a uh, a motel, right? And the motel has some has some long term. Maybe some some people that have signed. You know, I, I don't know. There's people that stay in hotels long term. They have a lease. If there's some leases in place, and you're going to want to do some renovations, we would use a bank, or we would use a bridge loan, and that gives the general partner some time, like three years to make some renovations. Okay. And, and you're moving people around, moving them to, to, you know, different units and get, getting them moved in until it's stabilized, stabilized. At that point, you're either going to sell it or you're going to refinance into hopefully this agency loan, which is, you know, longer term debt, better product, and really offers um, the investor the ability to get some real stabilized distributions. Does that make sense, ladies? I did a lot of talking yeah. there. Yes. <laughs> it does. And, and one of the things that's, you know, this is lending is something that people don't think about when they're looking at an investment, the type of lending that is on an asset. And, and, it's, they just think, oh, they have a loan. And it's so, there's so many variables that go with it. And like you said, the, the, the person that's providing that type of lending is the biggest partner in the whole deal. Yeah. And th like you said, that's the person that gets, or the company that gets paid first. 
So it is the most important to pay attention to because what is the structure of that? And then how will that affect the shares of the investor? One thing that, um, how do you, so let's say it is a property, which often seems to be value add or it's a distressed property. So they don't have the occupancy that you need. So you're kind of forced, you don't have that choice. You're kind of forced to go into either a bank loan or into the, the bridge debt that seemed to be a very popular event uh, the past uh, year and a half. Yeah. Um, so let's say you're doing that, but now you're going to do hopefully a refinance. How can you be, uh, as an investor, how can you look at the projections of what the, what the team is projecting that that interest rate is going to be on the refi? Like, how can you be like, we know it's a guessing game, but how do you, how do you say mm, that's good or that's not so good of a guess? Yeah. What's the well, state? What's I would the tell you it, it, in this market, it is challenging. It's challenging because we were working within a very condensed and compressed cap rate environment, mm-hmm. right? And we were able to look at things and say, okay, I'm going to hold this for five years and my reversion cap rate is going to be 10 basis points every year. So I'm going to just add another 50 basis points and boom, we're there. We can see it, what the value is. We just are having a hard time figuring out what the values are. Um, it's the game has, has fairly changed, um, over the last year. And so to really be able to say, okay, I'm looking at this PPM and I'm recognizing that in year three, we're going to go take this renovated property and get into an agency loan. I have to make some assumptions. I have to make some assumptions and the general partner needs to make some assumptions about where the cap rate is. And that's simply by having conversations with the local uh, property management also talking to brokers. Where do we think this is going to be? So that's one thing. Secondly, your NOI, uh, the net operating income, which is your your income minus your expenses, gets you your NOI. This is how we value these assets. So if we are looking at, okay, where do we need to be in year three, in order to qualify for an agency loan, we have to make sure that we've got the targets. We've got to make sure that the income is coming in. And what the, the challenge has been is that the rents have started to go down. Occupancies have gone down. So this is a huge, huge challenge. So what we're doing is we're getting with a lot of our 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 clients who have done business and also not our clients, but people who are have actually got into these bridge loans and we're sitting down and we're looking at their NOI and saying, how much time do you have left on that bridge loan? And if your NOI is 500 now, and in order to get to 70 or 75% on an agency loan, we need to get the calendar out and start saying over the next 12 months, this is where your NOI has to go. And if not, here's the sad story. There will be the potential of selling it and taking a loss or selling it 
and having to put another bridge loan. We call it a bridge to bridge loan. Or, you know, are we going to be able to hold on to the occupancy mm-hmm. at, at, at this bridge loan maturity date um, and, and keeping all those numbers in line? We may have to have a cash in, cash in, not a cash out refi, mm-hmm. but a cash in refi. What does that mean? That means a capital call. Mm-hmm. We don't want to see them, but there are operators that are doing the best job that they possibly can in this environment, ladies. And it's not because they're doing anything other than getting hit with this rent decrease and occupancy. Um, they they uh, stabilized their uh, expenses, but because of taxes and insurance, things are really getting challenging. Mm-hmm. And, you know, 60% of the loans today were done with bridge loans over the last couple of years. Mm. And those are coming to maturity. And about 40% of those will have capital calls. We speculate. So what does that mean to your investors? Okay, that's really the bottom line. How right. does that get interpreted to our investors? So again, as we talked about the capital stack, okay, I need to bring in capital. What does that do when you bring in capital? It dilutes the investors' Mm -hmm. shares. So in some of the PPMs, the way that they're written, you have to offer or you need to insist (laughs) to your investors, hey, I need you to bring in this money. If you want to keep your shares, I need 10,000. I need 50,000 from each one of the investors. Now it's up to the investor to say, okay, here's my credit card. Okay, here's some more money. But the question remains, are we going to be able to stabilize this if we get to the point where we we need to put money in because we're not cash flowing? But if we get to the point where they put money in early and then we need more money, at what point do do the investors say, I'm not putting any more money into this sinking submarine. No, I'm not. So that's the risk um, we're seeing. And, and that's where these PREF equity people are coming in into the stack, diluting those shares. And, you know, if you're in a deal right now, I would be having that conversation. I'd be having the conversation with the general partner and say, is there a concern of a capital, a capital call, right? We're, where are we at? Are we protected? A lot of them may not be able to identify that yet, but being understanding, you may need to bring some capital in. And now are we seeing that in deals that are not using bridge debt? Like, is that, that's really only being seen in deals that have bridge debt because the agency loans, it, we're not worrying about that, right? Is that, so is it really the bridge debt where there's the the, the risk or is there a different, another type of debt that can be that little red flag for investors right now to just keep that extra look out on? It's really the biggest influence here is on the bridge debt. But here I'll tell you this. If there are maturities on agency that you're at 3.75 and I want to keep this asset, okay? You're at 10-year maturity. You Your option is to go in at uh, you know the higher interest rate. Mm. So 
if you haven't created enough NOI, I would think after 10 years, you're pretty good. Yeah. But, um, right. you know, if you want to refi, um, at, let's say you're on a five-year loan, you may have to bring some extra capital in. Mm -hmm. You know, it, it, it is what it is. Uh, the other thing that people are not taking in, into consideration is an assumption. We're seeing a lot of assumptions mm -hmm. where people, you know, started to get in right around COVID. They got a really good rate. They want to exit that strategy. <clears throat> and, oh, wow, this is great. I can get in at, you know, 4%. Awesome. Mm -hmm. But you're getting in, let's say, with only two years left. Okay. So, and you're underwriting it at 4%. That is a mistake. You need to be underwriting it as a general partner <clears throat> and as an investor, recognizing that when you go out to reinvest or to refinance this, mm -hmm. if it's you know right around the corner, mm -hmm. it needs to be at what the current rate is or what we're looking, what we're seeing today. You know, if we look at the forward curve, and I love the forward curve because it kind of shows where the speculation is in the, the months and years to come. The forward curve shows on the 10-year treasury. The 10-year treasury is what is dictates on these agency loans. Remember I told you, 10-year treasury mm -hmm. or seven-year treasury or five-year plus the spread. <clears throat> that 10-year treasury is showing a dip and it's going up. So if you're going to be looking over the next two years, it's there's going to be a dip. But when we're taking out these loans that you're going to hold for five and 10 years, it's showing it's going up. Okay. So we need to be taking that into consideration for the refinance. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it, it does. does. Yeah. Good. It's, it's really interesting. I'm so glad that we had you on because, you know, this is one thing that I, even, even when I talk amongst my team, they, they, they get like a, a, a generalized term sheet. I, I just do quotes because it's just a piece of paper that just says, oh, this is what it is. Like you were saying, this is what the index is. This is a spread and this is what it is. Well, that's great. But you know, I, I it, it's like saying to our, our the looking at um, loan interest like this and the type of packages out there, it's like saying to a builder, I want to replace the windows in my house. How much will it cost? But they never come and look to see yeah, what kind of windows, how old they are, what the condition, whether it's a brick building, wood frame, none of that. And then I'm, I'm seeing a lot of, of, of people just like saying, oh, this is the better rate. We're going to use this because that's what they said they got. Yeah. It's a totally, it's every house is different. Mm -hmm. So every construction project to replace windows in a house there's always going to be different nuances. And that's something that I don't see people really addressing and talking about. They're doing a one size fits all with lending. And that is not mm -hmm. the case. Mm -hmm. And only until when you get to closing, when you get that rate, it's like, uh, how come we didn't underwrite it at this? How is this going to work? What are we going to do? Yeah. Candace, that is a great, I really appreciate you bringing that up because, you know, from the lending standpoint, there are a lot of people that do my job, right? And we're all trying to get more business. Um, a lot of brokers, a lot of lenders 
They want to make, they want to spend the least amount of time with you. Okay. And the least amount of time with you is saying, here is what the rate is. They have not underwritten it. They have not looked at your financials specifically for that asset. Remember in multifamily, we are using financials. It doesn't matter what the color of the door is. It doesn't matter what street, it doesn't matter what street it's on, but not like you're going to be doing in single family, right? Mm -hmm. So it's all about you're buying a business. Okay. And every, you know, you've got occupancy, you've got vacancy, you've got economic vacancy, mm -hmm. you've got, um, you know, the current debt on it. You, there's a lot of factors that go into <laughs> putting these deals together. So a lot of these lenders will say, they'll look at a sheet, you know, their quote sheet, and they'll say, okay, in this market, it's 75% max LTV. Mm -hmm. Okay. So they give that to you. And they're going to say 30 year AM and they're going to say, okay, you want 70 uh, seven year financing and the, the prepayment penalty, I'm going to give you the cheapest debt. Okay. They have not under, they have not underwritten this. They don't know what the financials look like. So you're going along, you're telling, you're communicating this with your passive investors with this assumption that I'm getting 75% because that's what the quote sheet said. Okay. It's, yeah. it's wrong. And, and what, you know, you work with a, a broker or a lender that's going to take the steps to underwrite this for you, tell you where the challenges are, tell you that, you know what, it's not 75, it's actually 60. Mm -hmm. So now you can go and say, I need to capital raise 40%. Yeah. Okay. And now you're communicating with your investors that say, okay, you're, uh, you're five, you're, your shares, your 50,000 is worth a certain amount of shares. Okay. And instead of at the last minute, now, again, we're bringing in somebody else that's going to dilute it. That's a bad relationship with a lender. And we just don't like to do that. We don't want to put out garbage. So when a general partner is looking to find out what the terms are, we can give you high level. That'll get you in the game. It'll get you into the underwriting and modeling. But if you're really looking to put in a, a letter of intent, your LOI, that's going to then take you into a contract, you're really going to want to go to your lender and say, okay, I am ready. We have checked in with our insurance. We've checked in with our property manager. We've checked in with taxes, uh, payroll. All of that is already configured. All I need is to know what the best product is and what it looks like based on our financials. Now that's a snapshot. When you give me the financials, it's it's a snapshot on a Thursday, right? It's it's your right. it's your April financials. Well, we have May, we have June financials. I'm looking at April. Things have changed over the last two months. And going forward, these take 60 days and sometimes more to close these loans. Mm -hmm. So if my financials are based on April, I've got a long, I've got four months where it could change. So as an operator and a, and a buyer or a borrower, we need to be having the conversation with that seller and say, Hey buddy, I'm in contract with you. You need to keep the NOI up. You need to keep these doors filled. And if it drops, I'm going to take a, 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 
a, a change in pricing, maybe. Maybe that's what gets put into the, the PSA, all right? Because if, let's say, it drops below that 90% occupied for 90 days, mm -hmm. you've got hard money into this and it, mm. it blows up. Now, you're, we, we, cannot, we can no longer give you uh, financing on it. So it's really important to have this relationship with a bank or a broker and get you underwriting and get you fine. As long as we call it garbage in, garbage out. If you're giving me February financials, that's a shot in the dark. Things have changed overnight. To get the best financials over to the, the lender, the, the most accurate rent rolls, and then we can really provide you with accurate information. Garbage in, garbage out, get you bad uh, uh, feedback from a lender. I'm, I'm sure that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Yep. That, was, that was very helpful because, you know, in the long run, that's all really good, important information. And as the passive investor who's, you know, learning all of this right now, like, you know, some of the terms like the LTVs, like they might not be familiar. That's like the loan to value, like the loan that you want to receive versus the value of your property. But what it really comes down to is the questions that you need to be asking to the sponsor before you put your hard-earned money into this. You need to say, what? how did you get these numbers? Did you speak to the bank? Have you done this? Have you checked all the boxes that Julie just uh, listed? Because if they can't answer those questions, that means they did not do their due diligence correctly. And like Julie said, the garbage in, garbage out. So if you as a passive investor don't know what questions to ask, you could just be stuck in a pile of garbage and that's not what you want. So that was very, very helpful, Julie. Thank you. Sure. Yeah, that was great. I, you know, it, it, it's something that, I don't know. I just, every, there are all, there's so many pieces. People, I've, I've noticed more and more when I'm particularly talking to investors, I like to, everyone is very familiar with single family. And they, they can understand, it with, even if they rent an apartment, they understand that, you know, there are expenses to be paid. And then when you have single family, well, it's a little bit different because you're in charge of the maintenance if you own the home. Mm -hmm. So when I talk to my investors about multifamily investing, I talk to them that it, it's all of what you have learned and you know about, but it's all under mostly under one roof. But there are other nuances that because it is a large number that you have to take these other nuances into, into play that are extremely important. And one of them is the debt to understand. You don't have to know as much as Julie knows. I mean, <laughs> all you need to know is to have the contacts with the people that do know, you know, right. and then you can ask the right questions and they can guide you on what might be mm -hmm. a better decision to be making. So, um, I mean, that's one of the main reasons we wanted to have you on the show because you're an expert in this, Julie. And um, I know that you've, you've definitely steered me in different directions to, you know, yeah. sometimes, you know, kick team members in the butt <laughs> to pay attention before we just like randomly pop in a, an interest rate in, into the underwriting. Yeah, for, definitely. And, you know, I think the other question is from an investor standpoint, and I, I, I'm, I'm confident you guys have covered this in the past, is to invest in a group, a team that has 
a track record, right? Mm -hmm. I'm not, as a lender, I'm an investor as well. I'm a general partner. Um, I, I run into this a lot where an investor says, I'll put it with anybody. But you really need to do your due diligence. And in that, they're also like, ask the question, what is the, what is the relationship? Who are you putting your lending with? Are you jumping around to all these different lenders or are right. you partnering with a, a lender or a mortgage broker that has a track record? Because they're going to be able to get this deal done and through and close. There's a lot of people that have money that need to, you know, whether it's a 1031 exchange or they, you know, they're not making any money in the banks. That's for sure. Right. And they want to mm -hmm. deploy this capital. And if they're sitting around for four or five months waiting for you to close this deal because the lender that they're working with, the general partners working with, is putting their cash, uh, you know, sit in, a, in an idle position, that's not good. So before you place that capital, ask these questions. Mm -hmm. You want to move and get your, your money deployed quickly and moving it. And that's going to require a general partner to be able to close this and have those relationships with the right uh, partners. Well, this has been very helpful because I think I, well, I don't want to assume or fill in blanks for people, but however, I think people think it's about the asset more than and not seeing a lender as a partner and they see it's the property or have you done this before? And it's about, it's like all about the property and like what goes into the qualifying of a commercial or just, I mean, just even starting there or saying there between residential and commercial is so different that it's that this really sheds a lot of light on that the lender is part of the team that it's. Yeah, absolutely. And I don't know that that's mentioned as much as it should be. Well, it, it is. And I would tell you that when you're working with a broker, it's like we open up our trench coat. And we've got all of these different kinds of like um, watch uh, the watch um, person on here. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's like I'm a carpet carpet yeah. seller, right? Um, got your carpet but, samples. <laughs> exactly. But the thing is, is if you're if you're going directly and, and and the general partner doesn't have a relationship with this bank and right. uh, you know, they're putting themselves and the deal at risk. And right. you just don't want, there are lenders out there that are in it for themselves. They don't know. And you don't know that going in by yourself. So yes, I would agree that the lender is your biggest partner and to have a relationship, you know, seeing as a investor in coming into the deal, how does that, how do they play into this? How do they, how do they help? Because mm -hmm. for me, um, I bring to deals, I will bring investors to the transaction. I will bring my my team to the transaction. So, it, it this this relationship is critical to the success of a deal. There are some lenders that are behaving badly, and if you don't have somebody who works on your behalf, you could be by yourself. Mm -hmm. So, 
even the bits and pieces with I'm seeing, like you said, um, you know, people are getting really excited because the interest rates are, are, are killing deals right now. Mm-hmm. And I'm seeing more and more um, opportunities coming that, you know, it, it's almost like they have flashing lights. If they could put them on there, it's like assumable loan, assumable loan. Mm-hmm. But you yeah. don't. But it, the case in point, one of the things that you pointed out is that I don't see in that flashing light assumable loan for how long for you don't see Mm -hmm. that unless you ask you don't know to ask unless you know to ask and um and there there's this i'm noticing too that there is like this pressure almost like buy now buy now it's going to sell out buy now and it's it is a rush to get to the finish line for the team members because of all of the little bits and pieces we need to do in order to close on the property but as an investor um if if you're just feeling pushed and rushed then honestly i say walk away yeah just walk away and the right investment will come and you know and even if the deal is great but something about you personality wise you're not you're not connecting mm-hmm. with the general partners, mm-hmm. even if the deal is looks like a sweet deal, walk away because you're that relationship. You're not going to have that relationship when let's say you have a question. Are you going to be able to call that person or contact them? Are you going to get that response that you really need as an investor? I mean, all of these things are really important, whether in, in your world is called retail and our world, we call it the private investor. Um, it's, it's all really, it is, even though we all have different roles, one's more active and the other one is more passive, even though it is technically not a hundred percent passive because you do have to do your due diligence. Um, Mm -hmm. we're still a team and we still need to be able to work together cohesively. Yeah, I, I would, uh, yes, I would say exactly what you said. I think that, um, you know, over the last year, it's been difficult to kind of figure out where we're going. Um, Should I get into stay in multifamily? Should I go into different asset classes? It really doesn't. I mean, yes, it matters what you what you uh, invest in. But when you're looking at a, a, a general partner and trying to figure out, is this the right fit for me? Also consider, and if this is just not from a financial statement, from you know being a, a lender here, but since you know since we're limited and general partners, all of us, what I like to think about is okay. I like to see financials on a monthly basis, and I used to be an operator on my own assets. Now I do it as a team and multifamily. But I looked at my my records every day. I looked at who was moving in, who was moving out. I like to look at it on a daily basis. Now I put my money in with a quarterly and it drove me nuts. So that's another question that you need to be asking the general partner. How often will I know about this asset? How often will I be communicated to? Because if it's not enough, you're going to be in that asset for quite some time, five, seven, 10 years. So know it up front because that is going to be, you're going to want to be satisfied with that decision that you make. Don't make it thinking, okay, I'll be okay with that. If you haven't really checked in with yourself, I did it. And it, it I, I, I'm, I'm sad that I made that choice. 
on a, on a couple deals. Great, great, great advice. Well, I think we're, we're getting close to running out of time, but we got a couple things. One, if our listeners want to get in touch with you, Julie, how do they do that? Oh, I love that. So I am on all socials, right? So LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram, Julie Ann Peterson, Julie A-N-N-E Peterson. Okay. Um, also, I would invite all of your listeners to come in and take a look at Zoom at 8. It's a place where you can find deals. You can find investments, places you can invest in. Um, you can build relationships there. And you can come join us um, every Tuesday night at 8 p.m. Eastern. And the way to do that is you sign up on dancinginvestments.com. Dancinginvestments, that's plural, .com. So I hope that, you know, that would be helpful to your investors to come join us. And I just want to add, I love Zoom at 8. And for investors listening, it is, um, it's not intimidating. It's just like this. We're talking we're, we're sharing ideas. Um, listen to me. I'm talking like I'm part of Zoom. Eight in this <laughs> well, you are. I, just, I love it so much because it is it is non-intimidating and you can ask any question. And there's so many professionals that, that Julie brings to the table on every part of the team that you can get their information and then be able to connect with them outside to really dig deep into what it is you're looking for as an investment. Um, I can't say more about it because um, I, it, and it's a lot of fun because Julie has a great sense of humor. <laughs> and anything else you want to add to that, Julie, before we or anybody no, I think else? That, that's great. I, I, I would just say it's a cautionary time. Know who you're investing in. Um, it's going to probably take another year, uh, but you want to be deploying capital. You want to move your money. It's letting mm -hmm. it sit there, it's rotting. It's just like an egg, uh, a carton of eggs rotting. So move it, get it into somebody that you and a team that you know, like, and trust who have a track record and make sure that the lender is on board. So I, I appreciate that. Great. So we have one uh, last thing that we do is kind of fun. Um, we do like a mind thought provoking quote of the day. And we have three cards that Tamara has. You get to choose one from three. Okay, so am I going from the left or the right? No, just kidding. One, uh, two, I'll three. take the middle. <laughs> middle, middle. Okay, the middle one is don't look for the needle in the haystack. Just buy the haystack by Jack Bogle. So what, what, what am I supposed to do on this now? You just kind of profound words of wisdom, just neither, like you said yeah. the uh, okay. What does that make you? Just buy the haystack? Yeah. Hey, listen. Don't look for the needle. I, just I, buy the haystack. Yeah. I think, you know, you run the risk of losing money. It, you know, you have to do your due diligence. Uh -huh. So I do like the fact of that you have capital to, to afford that. Um, does it make sense to maybe put a little bit into that haystack so you can buy a bunch of other haystacks? Yeah. Just depends. Um, are you looking for a JV deal? Or are you looking for a, a, a syndication? So I, I think the overall arching for me is 
you need to do your due diligence before you do buy any of that and, and then determine how much you want to put into it. What, what, what's your um, position going to be in that buying that haystack? Yeah. And I think it, for me, I think about um, it, it says, it, what is my risk tolerance? If I'm going to buy the whole haystack, there's going to be a little bit more risk. The higher the return, the greater the risk. Yep. So sometimes a uh, different uh, mm -hmm. opportunity that may not be showing the same returns as another one, but when you look at all the pieces that we just discussed, might be the better bet. Mm -hmm. Well, and then are you going to buy it with credit? And then, you know, <laughs> if I could, if I could provide that, let me do that. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> Well, thank you, uh, Julie. Um, we want to thank you for being here today. It was a lot of great information, um, you know, on funding the deals. And I'm sure the listeners, listeners picked up tons of knowledge. Um, and um, it was just awesome. Thank you for being here. So we want to thank you. Uh, thank our listeners for joining us today at the roundtable. If you want to learn more, you can check us out on Instagram, Facebook, YouTube. And visit our website at therealestatewomen.com. The information contained in this podcast is for educational purposes only. We are not licensed professionals and do not give investment advice, tax advice, or other professional advice. Please consult a licensed professional before making any financial decisions.